2021, we did 12 million. And this year, we'll probably land somewhere around 40 million. So the growth that we're seeing is really tremendous. Hello, and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Estershan. Have you ever gone to an amazing concert, but then the days after have your ears ring? That's the exact issue that Martin Bodius and Dimitri O wanted to solve. Martin and Dimitri didn't want to wear those yellow foamy earplugs on a night out and launched Loop Earplugs. The duo created modern sleek earplugs that's rated number one by users and major media outlets. Oh, and they also happened to create an eight-figure business along the way. Martin and Dimitri are here with us today to share their process for design, marketing, and scaling within a niche market. Welcome to the show, Martin and Dimitri. Hey, Shuang. Thanks for having us. Same here. Thanks. Very excited to chat with you both. So we got to start how everything began and also the inspiration. Um, so tell us what about the existing earplugs that you wanted to change and how did you feel about the ability to actually build a business around this idea? I think the story of origin of Loop um, is coming from a, pra- a passion and a frustration that Martin and I share. Uh, we've been friends a very long time, going to clubs, festivals, a lot of vacations, especially when we were younger. And I'm sure a lot of people will recognize that at some point when you get home after a night of clubbing, that you have like this ringing sound in your ear. Very, very uncomfortable. And if you, you're not careful, it actually can become permanent hearing damage, which is what we have. It's called tinnitus. And basically silence does not exist for us anymore. And that is where the frustration of the story comes into play. Because we started trying just all the available earplugs out there. And every time we're either not liking the way that they felt, the way that they sounded, or the way that they looked. And especially when you're young, you dress up, you want to meet people. You don't want to look like a dork, which is the stigma that a lot of these traditional earplugs have. And that's where basically we defined our initial mission to redefine what an earplug should sound, look, and feel like, and making sure that we build a brand around it, that people are actually proud and happy to wear them. At which point you felt like, this is actually a viable market and there's actually a viable business to be built around it. I think the first time we really tested the product, of course, it's it's a long time that we're working on it together in our uh, apartments. And I think the first time was our 30th birthday party. It was in a, in a big museum in Antwerp where we invited a lot of people. We created like the prototype that we had. We 3D printed them. We colored them in like fluorescent uh, coating. And then we gave them to all of our friends and family. And that was maybe, I don't know, 30, 50, 70 people. And there we got a lot of great feedback. So that was kind of our first indication that we were onto something. Of course, there were a lot of naysayers as well, like earplugs. I mean, there are earplugs on the market. Why would anyone want to wear fancy earplugs? And it's something funny that I always heard is you have a good ID if your ID splits opinions. You're going to have people that say, this is really cool. And you're going to have people that are saying, like, this is the stupidest ID ever. If you have that, if you split opinions, you probably found an ID that is worth pursuing. One of the things that we also noticed is that there were actually some categories of products around us that were doing exactly what we thought should be happening, but not to earplugs. To name a couple of examples, if you look at the market of earphones, think of brands such as Skullcandy, JBL, Apple, Bose, etc., 
They have a lot of crazy outspoken designs, whereas earplugs for some reason always try to hide themselves, which is not possible because your ears are in your face. You're always going to see them. And on the same side in protective uh, gear, helmets is something that today almost everyone is wearing when either biking or skiing or whatever. Why is that? Because 10 to 15 years ago when GoPro and Red Bull came and were showing all these extreme sports, it sort of became a symbol of you being an extreme sporter as well. So today, everyone wears these helmets. They have crazy, beautiful designs, a lot of features, very expensive, and they have become a status symbol. And that is protective equipment, same as earplugs. But still with earplugs, it is always for doors. Why is that? That didn't make sense. And so looking at all these evolutions in these other categories, we thought there's something we can do with your hearing protection here. You have to trust your own uh, instinct and intuition. We tested all the products that were on the markets. We had experience with custom made, with foamies, with standard earplugs. And the product that we created, we went out a lot to concerts, festivals, nightclubs ourselves. That was a uh, work for us. But then we also saw like, yeah, what we have here is something that is really better than what's on the market. And it looks really cool. And that's when we kind of said like, let's, let's really go for this. I think one of the most important aspect of Loop is the design, the look of not only the product, but the branding itself is modern and sleek. So can you walk us through the design process for both the product and brand to make them so symbiotic? It's been a journey. It's not that it was uh, perfect from the beginning. They always say like, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you've launched too late. Sometimes if we look back at those early prototypes that we still have at the office, uh, we get a bit embarrassed. So that's, <laughs> that's a pretty good sign. We knew that we had to create a certain channel, a certain channel length, and we wanted to make it as compact as possible. So we looked at different ways to make this as compact as possible. We tried putting it in two different levels. We tried putting it kind of in a ball. And all of a sudden we thought like, what if you take away the middle part of that ball where the acoustic channel is, and all of a sudden you had a loop. So it's not that we were going for that loop. It was more the acoustics and the requirements of having a good earplug kind of led us there. And the fact that we wanted to make it as compact as possible. That's kind of the reason how we got to the design and we wanted something that wouldn't stick out. So that's kind of how that product was born. We used kind of 3D printing in the beginning, and then we, of course, moved on to other production techniques, but that allowed us to really be nimble and fast and to iterate at the beginning of our uh, product development cycle. And I think same for uh, the brand side, it's been a very iterative process. And there also, if we look at the initial packaging, the initial logo that we had, it is something to be quite embarrassed about. Initially, we were very much focused on the nightlife uh, part, whereas our brand name today is Loop Earplugs. It used to be Loop Nightlife. Uh, to give you an idea, the box that we had was fully black because that was like the premium thing to do. But from there on, it, it evolved quite a lot. I think one of the key momentums for us um, was COVID because of two or actually three different reasons. First of all, we hired our first designer back then. Uh, her name is Laura. Her first week was the first week of lockdown here in Europe. And she elevated the way that our, look, our brand looks to multiple levels above what it was uh, was before. So so very big kudos to uh, to Laura there because she really did make a huge, uh, huge difference. A second thing, and that took some more months, was that we came to the realization that hearing protection was only just one aspect of why people are wearing earplugs. And that became very clear on the moment in lockdowns. We were very much focused on that protect your ears in style and that nightlife happening. 
but still as COVID hit and lockdown was a was a fact parties were over still people were buying our earplugs and that didn't make too much sense from the hearing protection perspective because everything was quiet and then we went into that and we actually understood that a lot of people are wearing earplugs just to sort of get a control of the noise that is around them. People that sleep with earplugs has nothing to do with hearing protection, but everything to do with removing noises that disturb your sleep, your flow. Same with today, open offices, people are working in environments where there's a lot of noise and a lot of things going on around them. They want to focus. They either wear earplugs or they wear your phones, but then without playing any music on, stuff like that. So there was an aspect of controlling how the world sounds that people were using our products for. And so we repositioned the brand from protect your ears in style to your life, your volume. And that is what our brand pivoted into, especially in the last year and a half, two years, more or less. And that has been extremely powerful for us. Very exciting to hear about the growth for both product and brand. Another important player within the growth strategy is also finding the right production partner. So can you share a little bit about the process of finding the right partner to handle your manufacturing? Yeah, that's also been quite a journey. In the beginning, it was Dimitri and my funding that was going into, into that. We didn't have any big investors. So creating big injection molds and doing batches of 10,000 was, was kind of out of the question. But I think that was also a good thing in the beginning because you're on a nimble budget and you have to make choices in a certain way. And in the beginning, we did everything with 3D printing. Uh, I think in the beginning it was materialized and 3D systems in Belgium that we used. And that was good because you bring something to market, you get feedback and you can iterate quite quickly on the product that you need to do. It's only once we sold a few thousand that then we switched to injection molding because 3D printing at that point, especially given the small size of our products and the finishing that we wanted to have, we had to switch to injection molding. At that point, we found a Dutch company who had production in China. And the reason that we went to China is that most of the know-how of headphones, earbuds, etc., all of those similar products was there. That's where they had the most knowledge on how to do ultrasonic welding, how to do really cool coatings. So that was our first production partner. And the thing is, of course, if you're still small, you're going to end up with smaller, less known production partners. And again, with that partner, we grew. And when we grew, again, we became more interesting to bigger partners who were doing headphones and earbuds for the Sony's, the pioneers, the beats of this world. And those are the partners that we're working with right now. So step by step, you're kind of increasing your volumes and more opportunities of production kind of unlock. I think there's a funny thing that they say in the, in the production world, it's called the value of death. In the beginning, creating like a few prototypes is really easy. And I think Dimitri, that's what we did in the beginning. We had like 20 prototypes and we thought like, wow, we can really scale this, we're there. And that's when you do a few, that's easy. When you do a lot, you have like a lot of units that you can you know, spread your investment costs over. But it's kind of in that middle part where you're doing maybe between 1,000 or 10,000, depending on the product that you're making, that you're too big for like maybe 3D printing, but you're too small for injection molding. And that's the big part that you kind of have to bridge. Um, 
But again, also in the beginning, it was Dimitri and myself on our terrace, uh, using toothpicks to put our loops on, uh, spray painting them, putting like ear tips of other brands on them. Like you had weird color matches, but that's kind of what you need to do in the beginning. Your early adopters forgive you for yeah, all the mistakes you, you have in the beginning. And by bringing something to market that is not perfect, you learn very quickly and you iterate based on that. I think uh, another side to that story that's really important as well in our story is that typically luck happens when preparations meets opportunity. And so I think somewhere in August 2018, July or August, we decided to move from 3D printing into mass manufacturing injection molding to then in January 2019 be at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas signing a big deal with the retailer where mass manufacturing was absolutely crucial to be able to do it. And so because we took that decision six to eight months before that, we were able to actually deliver. Martin and I had to fly to China for a couple of weeks, spend time there and really spend time at the machines with the engineers and the operators making sure that the quality was on par so that we could, uh, could supply. But then again, that volume, that revenue, that margin also allowed us to do the next investment into the, a better, instead of a tier three to a tier two, manufacturers increasing um, the quality, in, uh, decreasing the yield rate, increasing, improving costs, et cetera. So it is sort of looking in hindsight, it all seems like to fit really well together, but very often you see the decisions were made three, six, nine months before that and it sort of works itself out when, when the opportunity presents itself, but the preparation has been done upfront. And maybe also give an idea of the numbers. In the beginning, we were doing indeed batches of 100. I think right now, Dimitri, how many units did we sell so far this year? This year, I think 10 days ago, we just sold our 2 million sets since, since the beginning of the year. So the volumes that we're doing right now are a whole different ballpark than what we were doing in the beginning. And it's also like the impact that we have on people is so much bigger. So that's that's really awesome to, to hear. So the business initially was self-funded. How much did you each both invest into Loop? And which areas did you put the investments into? Martin and myself had been working for a couple of years when we started with Loop. So the, the funds that we could put in were in... Yeah, approximately a couple of ten thousands of uh, of euros each. In 2019, we did our first funding round with fools, friends, and family. You can take those fools and friends very literal. There were three friends um, that uh, that invested in uh, in Loop, but we have a system in Belgium where we can leverage um, with loans quite heavily on the equity that we get on board. And basically, from the eighty thousand equity that we raised. Um, we leveraged it with over 250,000 euros in, uh, in loans, which allowed us to bootstrap for quite a while. And back in uh, the end of 2019, we were looking for funds because up until then, besides that small round with, uh, with friends and, uh, and fools that we did, we had bootstrapped and we wanted to accelerate, we wanted to innovate faster, hire people faster. And then COVID hit at the moment, more or less, that our uh, time term sheet was, uh, was being signed. And so with the investors um, or the candidate investors, I should say, we said back then, all right, COVID is going to set you back a couple of months. Let's see how you can breach those. And then, then let's keep on talking and see where that brings us. And so in July 2020, we did our second and up until now last funding round with, the, with them, which allowed us to really keep on investing in 2020, which was very necessary 
not only in people and in product development, but in also refining our new product market fit because it was lost for about six months. But that investment round allowed us to dig that that bit of a of a of a hole, financially speaking, get out of it, and then from there on, uh, end of 2020, we found that product market fit in a very successful way. And since then, we've been since then we've been scaling between 15 and and 40 percent month over month, more or less. I'm chatting with Martin Bodius and Dimitri O, founder of Loop Earplugs. You mentioned you tested some ads in the beginning. What are some other strategies or channels you use in the beginning to get new users? A big part there was also the retail part. Uh, it's only now recently, actually since Corona, that we switched entirely to direct-to-consumer. But in the beginning, we were very much split on retail and online. Um, and there, of course, we got some some very interesting deals that brought us to the next level. Um, we had a big deal with a pharmacy chain. We worked with MediaMarkt Saturn in Germany. We worked with local pharmacy chains, uh, some fashion stores, and that kind of also made yeah some of those sales jumps that we had. Uh, but of course, with Corona, yeah, retail kind of dropped. Uh, it stopped in its that in its tracks, and that's when we really made that switch to direct consumer that Dimitri can kind of give some more feedback about. One of the things that we do is is creating awareness of the impact that noise can have on people's not just hearing health but mental health in in general. And then I'm talking about stress, headaches, these kind of things. A lot of people will recognize when you tell them, "Have you ever been to a restaurant that was very crowded and where you felt when stepping out like that was a heavy night?" Well, that was basically the noise, and that happens to a lot of people constantly. Not a lot of people actually realize that it's coming from that noise. So we have a lot of storytelling to do, a lot of awareness building to create, and who better to do that with than with influencers. Influencers has been a huge, huge driver of our success in the last two, two and a half years, mainly, where typically we don't script anything on what they say. We just have them test the product, make sure that they like it, have them share their testimonial with their audience. And from there on, we take it. Sometimes we have collaborations with them. Sometimes it just happens organically and we try to amplify their message uh, afterwards. But influencer marketing has definitely been one of the big, big drivers for us in terms of uh, both awareness, brand awareness, and and just growth acquisition, uh, pure and simple. Um, and I think next to that, and that is something that we're focusing a lot more in, let's say the last six months and we'll be focusing on, on in, in the next, uh, next years is whereas right now we've grown a lot based on acquisition retention is very important for us as well. And if you look at retention, obviously it means that you're working on, on CRM activity and stuff like that, but also in a product like ours, that is not a consumable, that's actually very durable. There's no reason why people should really buy a new one unless you give them a, a good reason like new product that you develop, but also new styles, new collabs, new special editions, sometimes even very outrageous products that we do just a one-off. Like for example, um, about a year and a half ago, we launched a Bling where we made um, one set, unique set in massive gold with 120 diamonds on them just to show like, hey guys, earplugs can actually perfectly be jewelry and do these kind of experiments. So that's definitely part of the marketing plan as well to sort of yeah, really get people out of that earplugs are for dorks kind of vibe, break that stigma and combine it with, with good fun lifestyle kind of tactics 
to get people into our story and, and keep them engaged. I think the lifestyle, the storytelling, as well as the education is all present on your site, which is seamless, beautiful, and modern and sleek. So how did you go about perfecting that experience of people entering your online store and really having a very cohesive experience while they're trying to purchase online? I think there's a lot of different things coming together. Not the least is, is working with people that are very experienced in, in design, in branding, in brand strategy, making sure that all of that is to at a level that is, I think, very high for the phase that uh, that we're in. So all of that makes it look and feel in a very cohesive and coherent way. So I think that is very important. Second, it's one of our uh, core values as a business, as a brand, but also the way that we approach things is simplicity. So we try to keep things as clear and as easy for people to understand as possible. And then next to that, it's, it's a constant optimization and optimization goes from really small experiments like is it this call to action, is it that kind of color, all the way to okay, let's look at the entire information architect of the site. What is the flow? What is the journeys that our customers are going through? And what is working? What is not working? What should we change in that information architecture? And those kind of insights come from doing research, doing interview with customers, um, sometimes working with agencies as well. They can share some light on what works really well in other similar brands as ours. And to that extent, we really test basically everything from, from the smallest word all the way to our pricing and the flow of the information throughout the entire site. I think for me, also the fact with Corona, it's kind of, you always say like, never get it, let a cri good crisis go to waste. It really pushed us to focus and to really put all of our efforts and our minds into, okay, we have to make this D2C model, our own website work. And we have to work with all these different audiences. And that actually made us grow that fast, that focus in large part. I think in, Dimitri has a better view on the numbers, but I think in 2020, we did about a million. That was a year of when Corona hit. Once we, by the end of the year, we kind of found our product market fit again. In 2021, we did 12 million. And this year, we'll probably land somewhere around 40 million. So the, the growth that we're seeing is really tremendous. And indeed, we're investing more into brands, into marketing, into new products and innovations so that by next year, kind of a very ambitious goal is for us to hit that 100 million. So that is a trajectory that we're at. And we're always, always looking for also scalable ways for marketing. Like if we do something, let's say that that works, does that scale well? like advertising or influencers, or can we ship worldwide how the way we're doing it right now? I want to talk about Loop's reputation because I'm someone who wasn't cool concert going or nightclub going. I discovered you guys because I wanted earplugs for sleeping. And my awesome coworker in data said, you should really check out Loop. So there was a recommendation. And then I noticed that New York Times have you guys rated as number one. Marketplaces like Amazon have users rated you guys as number one. And also the amount of reviews on your own site is just astronomical. So how do you manage so many different aspects of your reputation? It starts with having a good product. If you don't have a good product, you're not going to get top reviews. You're not going to get as picked as number one by the New York Times. And you're not going to have word of mouth. So I think that's where it all starts with. 
But then, of course, you have to reinforce that voice through influencer marketing, through ads, etc. I think in general, also, the satisfaction that people have is, is the difference between the expectation and the reality. And so definitely, if you have a great product, the expectations can be pretty high because your product will match that expectation. But if somehow you can put the expectation also on the right level, sometimes some marketers might put those expectations a little bit too high. And although the product is actually pretty good, people will still be disappointed because they ex expected more or expected something else. Is something that we also have have learnings from making sure that you choose the right wording that comes back to that iterative iterative testing, making sure that you use the same words that your customers are using when describing the products. Working with influencers there as well, their genuine testimonials will give them a feel of authenticity and a way of, of describing that will generally put expectation a lot more realistically. And so people will just naturally be a lot more satisfied because we're expecting the right thing. And besides that, Again, because we are a D2C company, we have the direct relationship with our customer. We can also ask them, like, give your reviews, create that user-generated content and post it online, um, recommend this to your friends, um, work with influencers, become even an influencer. And all of that vibe also lives throughout the different channels. You just, you just see that. Yeah, I do agree with Dimitri there. Like, I think a big part of what we're also really good at is our customer support. We provide 24-7 customer support. We have really fast response times, and we make sure that they really have a great experience when talking to a customer support. So when something goes wrong, you don't have that reputation damage because they always say an angry customer is way more vocal than a happy customer. So let's make sure that you do that really well. Uh, and I think that's something that also really, yeah, always comes back to like awesome customer support. On the other side of it, I think it's also making it easy and convenient for someone to actually leave a review and making them feel compelled to do so. Have you done anything with the review flow to make it super easy for those who do want to leave a comment? It's a bit different on marketplaces than it is on our Shopify web store. Of course, on Shopify, we have the direct connection. Um, and there we use probably the, the typical tech stack that, that, that a lot of D2C brands use um, to ask for reviews. We don't give discounts and, and that kind of uh, incentives because it, to us it doesn't feel genuine, doesn't feel authentic, so, so we don't do that. But yeah, you, to some extent, you see when, when people appreciate you, they're very happy to, to leave you a review. We don't need to push for it in, a, in any way. On Amazon, it's slightly different in the sense that... Um, People are not compelled at all, and they don't really have that relationship to the brand as they do on Shopify. So typically, you're going to have the more outspoken uh, reviews that, that pop up first, but typically you see them a bit more negative than positive when we can. And there are some tools, some solutions within uh, the marketplace uh, uh, platforms to actually ask proactively people also on Amazon to leave their reviews, we see it have a positive impact on our, uh, on our overall rating. The fun thing is also that we kind of ask reviews before something is released. So we work somewhere within the team and let's say that we want to launch a new edition. We present that to people and then they say like, is this interesting for you? How much would you pay for this? Uh, would you go for this color or that color? And that informs our decisions on how much stock should we make? How interested are they? What should the price be? And I think it's the same for new products that we create. For example, right now we're working on, let's say a carry cord. We create all kinds of different variations. We show that to customers and then they say like, 
I like this version best, or I like that version, or I want to have this feature. And then you kind of take that into your development process so that you don't get, that you can remove a lot of complaints and a lot of learnings that you can get before you launch a product. Amazing. So excited to hear more, Martin and Dimitri. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you haven't already, follow and subscribe to Shopify Masters wherever you listen. And please leave us a review or feedback for the show. Thanks. So I know that you partnered with Tomorrowland, one of the most well-known music festivals in the world that's based in Belgium. And it's almost a beautiful full circle moment for the team as well. Can you talk about how the collaboration came to be and advice for founders who do want to have a very momentous partnership with other brands? Absolutely. Um, Tomorrowland is, is very close from home. Uh, the festival is at 15 kilometers from where we live. The headquarters of Tomorrowland, I can actually go by foot from where I where I live. And Martin and I have been fans of the first edition of, uh, of Tomorrowland. We've been going for a very long time. And since the beginning that we started Loop, we felt like if there's one brand that we should have a partnership with, it should be Tomorrowland. Why? Because obviously it's music, it's nightlife. So... The connection there was very obvious, but it goes a lot further than that. Tomorrowland has a way to deal with experience that is on a unique level. It's much, much deeper, much, much more elaborate than most festivals around the world. And that's where we felt that we have the same values, basically the way that we look at the, at the world, even our mission statement or our taglines, I should say, is even starting with, with that same word of live. For them, it's live today, love tomorrow, unite forever. And ours is live life at your volume. So the connection there with, between the two brands is very, very strong. And we pitched a couple of times for them already in the past couple of years. And typically our pitch was good, but we were way too small. And back then it didn't feel like that. We were a bit frustrated maybe that, come on, we got to have Tomorrowland as our, as our partners. And they wouldn't let us up until last year. Um, they actually came to us saying like, do you guys want to pitch for us? See if we can do something together. We pitched basically the same story as we had pitched before, but we were a brand that was so much bigger and team that was so, so much more competent than the previous versions. And that was what we really needed to make the partnership work because it's 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 a hell of a work doing a partnership such as Tomorrowland for us. It's the first time that we also did offline sales by ourselves. Before that, everything was online or even retail before COVID. But us truly selling our earplugs ourselves is something that we had never done before. But here we had two boots at the festival grounds, manned by our own team. And that was one of the most energizing moments of the of the years. Just having again that proximity to, to the customers has been really, really uh, fun, and it's a great partnership to have. I think it puts us on the map of, of festival and nightlife. It's a partnership that will uh, go on for at least another two years. It's a three three year deal that we uh, that we signed, and we're already thinking about how we can expand it um, further beyond of what we done last year. Maybe something to add from, from my side. I remember all the way in the beginning, we had kind of a, a challenge or a win. The first loop that we can spot in the wild, then, you know, we'll go out for drinks, we'll go out for dinner. And every festival we would go to, we would look at people's ears. Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing. We look at a lot of ears. That's kind of an obsession here. But um, we, we, at a certain point, we found someone. I think it was at a, at a party of, uh, of Kolsch. Uh, so we took a picture. We went out for dinner. That was so many years ago. 
And now that you're at Tomorrowlands, I remember I went uh, with Dimitri all the way to the to the front row. By the way, that was also our tagline: "Go front row," because we wanted to change the image of earplugs with Tomorrowland. And it's not so much about protecting your ears, reducing the volume; it's as well, but it's mostly about going longer, louder, going to the front row, being there uh, with your friends. And it was so awesome to like around us, there were so many people wearing loop. So that was something like as a, as a confirmation, as a circle that went around for us, um, that we were there at the front stage. Amazing. Beautiful. Would you have any advice for those who are two friends wanting to start a business? It is a cliche to say that don't enter a business with your friends, but uh, you two have done very well. So we would love to have some advice on that. There's probably some advice that we can uh, <laughs> that we can give. Maybe I'll start and then, then Martin, you can complete because this is typically how the dynamic between us works. I think that we align probably somewhere between 80 and 90% in our characters. We have like strategic long-term vision. It's just never a topic of discussion between us. We align very naturally in where we want to want to take the brand and, and the products. Martin has a bit more of a finesse feeling for, for brand and product, more the looking for the detail and, and perfection. Whereas I'm a little bit more, okay, let's do, let's sell, let's move forward, let's grow. And those two ways of working together complement each other very, uh, very nicely. So there's definitely a mix that is working for us. One of the things I think that also plays a huge role or has played a huge role in, in the way that we've been working together is an advice that we got very early on in, um, in, a, in an accelerator that we were in. And it's, uh, it's the book of slicing pie. And slicing pie tries to um, basically remove the potential frustration that you can have between founders where the amount of effort that is put into the project is not balanced anymore. So it's uh, in short, it's a, it's a way of dynamically working with the shareholdership between the two parties or three or four parties even, depending on what the input is. Um, and it's something that I would, would highly recommend any founders that is well more than just one read the book it's very much based on fairness you can make it as simple or as complicated as you like we we took the simple solution but it has made sure that we never had a discussion between hey i'm doing more you're doing more these kind of discussions were just never a topic for us from my side i think from all the friends the friend group that we have i think for sure we were two of the most entrepreneurially ones um Loop was not the first idea that we had. We also worked on something else that was kind of a competitor to the wire cutter back then, all the way in the beginning. Um, but indeed, I think we're, our skills are kind of complementary. Like it's like he's the left side of the brain, I'm, I'm maybe the right side. So if you're alone, sometimes it feels that you're not as smart. So I would say for sure, try to start with two, maximum three co-founders because it's it's like they sometimes say it's a roller coaster. And with two, you're stronger. You can kind of handle more things. You can handle the ups and downs. You can celebrate your wins. And I think you need to be aligned on the on the main values. And our, some of our main values, we actually listed them on our website as well, is think big. That's one that we really rely on. The stay curious, right? We, we read books. We talk to mentors. We go to events. We're always curious to learn more. Take initiative. Eventually, 
you have to try things. You're going to fail a hundred times, but you have to keep on trying. And I think that there's no fear of failing and trying again in either of us. And then you just like on a personal level, you have to have a good connection. And there the live fully and the do good is, is really part of who we are. Being at the front stage of Tomorrowland, going on motorcycle trips in the mountains. Again, by, act, by, by coincidence, it's a lot of things where Luke is involved, protecting your ears. But that's also something that we have in common and that, that binds us. Because indeed, it's, it's quite a journey. The six years that we've been to together, it's like cat years or dog years. It's probably 60 years more in reality. It's an awesome ride and just also enjoy the ride. Not only look at, at where you're going, but just have fun while you're on the attraction. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for being here, Martin and Dimitri. Thank you very much for having us. It was, uh, was awesome to uh, be able to tell the story. Thank you. Fun fact also today is six years of Luke. So we kind of celebrated it today. We got some presents from the team. So it's been, it's been a long journey, um, but a very exciting one. So yeah. Actually, these presents very much themed in our company values because the team bought us uh, a skydive and, and a Michelin star uh, restaurant. So that is what we understand by living fully. That sounds like a great way to live. Well, thank you for sharing your birthday with us for this recording. With our pleasure. That's Martin Bodius and Dimitri O oh from Loop Earplugs. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and I'll catch you next time on Shopify Masters.